Lala. Fancy meeting you here, stranger. I'm Svea Vikander. I'm Josephine Bedes. Together we are Art Crush International, and we take you into the artist studios of the world because it's always, usually fun to go exploring. I mean, <laughs> always, usually. It always has the potential <laughs> to be fun to go exploring. Anyway. We were bad girls. We were naughty last week and we did not release an episode. Why? Why did that happen? Terrible. I was sick last week. No. Oh. You might hear, I still have a I still have a raspy voice. But last week I didn't have a voice at all. Oh. It's like mm. extra sexy. It takes the raspy voice up a notch. You're like Yes, definitely. I'm moving it's my mouth and the words are coming out. <laughs> Oh, very sexy. Very, very sexy. Um, yeah, well, um, the sexiness aside, it was hard to record a podcast mm, yeah. while having no voice at all. Yeah. That's what happened. Okay, well, I'm glad you're end. you're on the mend. We missed Sage Hen, California. We were going to go yes, to like the interior of California, but we'll get back to that another time. But this week we have a new crush on yes. Richard Nelson. Oh. And he is absolutely adorable. Yes. <laughs> Richard Jonathan Nelson is like, I mean, he's like really one of the best parts of the Bay Area, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And like many people in the Bay Area, he's not from there. An artist who works in textiles. We love textiles. We do. That's kind of <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a quick way into my heart. It's, uh, it's textile. Like, do something with cloth. Great. Yeah. So now we all know how to seduce Fea. <laughs> <laughs> like a bull. You just like wave cloth in front of me and I'm like, oh, I can't handle this. That's what Richard Jonathan Nelson did. Yes, absolutely waved cloth. But yeah, Richard Jonathan Nelson, he works in themes with Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. not uh, utopic futurism, but Afrofuturism. He does digital prints onto silk. And other textiles, I believe. Mm -hmm. Super colorful, uh, queer black man from the South. He's lived in the Bay Area for a little while. Yeah, he also studied there. Yeah. And we're going to go visit him in... The studio of his friend, yeah, Jamie Crutzen, yeah, who so, is also a great artist. That's right. It's like one of the, another kind of dual crush, but I don't think that Jamie appears too much in the episode. We are going to talk a little bit more about Jamie's work later in this episode. Let's go to Oakland. There will be cloth. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Hi, I'm Richard Jonathan Nelson, and I'm here to subvert you. I pick up Svea, and together we drive to East Oakland, where we'll meet Richard Jonathan Nelson. We initially scheduled this interview at Richard's studio at home, but since one of his roommates is moving out today, we meet him at his friend and fellow artist Jamie Cruzen's place. The neighborhood we're driving through is pretty industrial looking. There are a lot of old warehouses around. Big trucks are driving on and off the road carrying lumber and other kinds of building materials. There's train tracks on the road and BART runs just above our heads. We parked a car along a very busy street, right in front of a beige colored building. I think it was apartment 6B. 
According to Google Maps, this is the place we're looking for, but the large gate is closing off the driveway from the street and we don't seem to get in anytime soon. Unit 6B. I give Richard a call. Hi, this is Josephine from Artbrush. I'm good, how are you? So we just arrived, but I don't know which um, doorbell to ring. So I forgot to put on the speakerphone, but Richard, who sounds very warm and very welcoming, tells me the entrance of Jamie's place is right around okay. the corner. We'll meet you there, all right? Okay, see you soon. He said something about a stop sign, but uh, I don't see really a stop sign. Uh, stop sign, see the stop sign? Ah! There is a stop sign. It says stop. Wow, look at this tree. Beautiful! We walk past the gate and turn left around the corner into a palm tree lined street. On our left, a fence surrounds a low rise renovated warehouse building. And a little further stand Richard and Jamie, who let us in through a gate in the fence. Hi, Hi. good morning. Hi. Good to meet you. Hi. Good to meet you. I'm Josephine. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for meeting. I'm Svea. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Svea. This is my place. Hi, Josephine. Nice to meet you. Friend, peer, mentor. Perfect. We walk towards the building and into Jamie's spacious apartment. Wow. We just love this place. This is amazing. Jamie's studio is really excellent live workspace. She's got a big working table near the front door and then a kitchen in the back and a bedroom upstairs. Well, actually, it's a loft bedroom. Have you got some tea? You want some tea? Jamie offers us some tea and we follow them into the kitchen in the back. What kind of tea would you like? I have some black tea, green, peppermint tea, um, raspberry leaf, matcha. We have a red tea. A red tea. Uh, wow, oh my god, so many choices. Toasted rice matcha, is that okay? We also have That's a great. lovely citrus blossom honey. Oh my god, honey. yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll have some of that. <laughs> so, do you work here now? Every right. once in a while, I come, have a conversation, talk with Jamie, we brainstorm. We still need to do proposals together for curation. Yeah, this is a place where you're just like, I can't figure this idea out, I'm going to come talk to Jamie. And it's just this, a nice reciprocal relationship where I can bounce ideas off. And okay. especially about queerness and intersectionality and being not from the Bay Area mm-hmm. and talking to someone from the East Coast who has the same sort of blue collar working background that I do. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a really nice, interesting relationship. Okay. I laid out some of the textiles for you to look at. I have some of my digital pieces, my hand woven. And I also have video if you would like to watch that. Oh, sure. So yeah, we can look at some. Everything. We can have a movie night. In know. preparation for our arrival, Richard has hung some of his work on the walls of Jamie's studio space and laid out a few of his textile pieces on the floor. While the tea steeps, we take a look. But um, I brought some of the work that's very much about the black body in nature and these very dense, lush prints mm-hmm. on Kona cotton that are multi layered collages of plants that are naturally black within nature. We assume what blackness is, but blackness is very much a multi-hue, multi-experiential organism. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find plants that were black in nature, but they're never truly black. They're always deep brown, deep purples. And that connection to blackness being more than what you visually see or what you visually associate in memory. And I also wanted to create images that had the black body within nature, which is something that we don't really associate in the U.S. as black bodies. That black bodies are now very much associated with urban spaces and the inner 
inner city and we don't really think of them as being part of nature or in communion with the natural world. And so I wanted to make images of that because nature is very much about freedom and coming to the Bay Area where there's very much like a hiking culture and camping culture. I am from the deep south where there's like 15 kinds of snakes and alligators and you're like, we're not going outside today, not today, it's 100 degrees. And so coming here where there's this communion with nature and this freedom that I've never been able to experience. But then as a black body, there is this hesitation to be in a very open space where I don't really feel safe. So from that connection, it started to talk about like animals and within the landscape and then that feeling of being like trapped and a little bit caged and then wondering about emotional freedom. So they went from physical freedom to emotional freedom. So I started mixing gorillas and I have bulls and I have all these animals that are in this sort of action of stampeding or raging. And then that made me ask the question of when is black anger or black emotion acceptable in open spaces or just in spaces in general? And so I started making these textile collages with prints that are almost faux African that play on that notion of what we think of the black diaspora and that sort of thing. Before that, I was making these magical circles that very much are a, a sort of hyperchroma of queerness and identity and the Bay Area and digital culture, but then a mix of hoodoo and low country magic, where I'm from, which is very much different from voodoo. But hoodoo is more animus and about nature and ancestral spirits. And so I wanted to create these zones of intention and magic. So they call it laying tracks or laying tricks, where you do something in the dust or in someone's footsteps to influence them. And so I wanted to create these sort of textile pieces that play on that. Of drawing in the dirt mm-hmm. and creating these magical spaces. Mm-hmm. That's like a shamanism, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Because it traditionally comes from West Africa mm-hmm. and the Yoruba people, yeah. and it's it translated over. And so it was this interesting thing that the more I look at my own history and my own identity, I realize that things that were passed down to me are remnants of traditional African culture. And it is that sort of interjecting it back into the dialogue of the art world that there's this idea that blackness is very much just a commercial capitalist thing that was invented in the 70s, or is is only defined from the 70s onward and it's only through sort of American capitalism or things that you can purchase or engage in that way but then it's like no we do have a connection back and there are pockets and there is this history and it's just like trying to introduce that to people mm-hmm. that, yeah. okay. because we're in Jamie's studio I asked them how long they've been here they say they've been living and working here a little over a year now and tell us there are more studios in the building there's people that have like CNC workshops and like all kinds of woodworking places and metal fabrication and oh that's in the back that's yeah like huge buildings yeah that's amazing yeah and then there's other people that just live here just to live here oh. which is really nice okay. it's been around for probably like 30 years now and it's time for us to set up our makeshift recording studio we take the stairs up to jamie's mezzanine bedroom and huddle together on some pillows in jamie's wardrobe area originally introduced to making from my grandmother and my mother and I come from a long line of seamstresses in the deep south and so when they were sewing for other people to make clothes and different items they would give me fabric to make toys I would make weird technicolor animals and then it was a mixture of this like soft sculpture queerness that was inherent in me and then the sort of masculinity of being a boy and so I would take like transformers but then make them like these fantasy playhouse for technicolor animals and so like inside this rigid structure of what it meant to be a boy i would have these fantasy worlds that were very much about like magic and light and just happiness and did anybody else make any textile toys for you they would show me how to make practical things or things that i would want 
So if I wanted like a new shirt, they would show me how to make a new shirt or if I just wanted to make something weird like cushions or just like a weird 50 foot scarf, they'd be like, I'll show you how to do it and just go. Just do whatever you want. Like we're not going to constrain you or say what you need to make or if it has to be functional. It's just like if you want to mix colors and play around and just play with materials. Yeah. And so I would go with them to fabric stores like often every weekend and just sort of browse the colors and just mix and match and play. That wonder of like an overwhelming textural sensation of just being a child and running your hand over all the fabrics and sort of just like associating color with a physical object. And so um, that's so you were doing that as a kid and mm -hmm. you then you decided to go to art school after that, like and to keep on doing the same thing. I started with that. And then when I got to high school, there were a few textile courses. And so I took the textile courses where I was introduced to weaving and basket making and painting on silk. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I didn't really think anything of it at the moment. So I put it away and I pursued a more classical idea of what it meant to have an art career. So I was going to school for graphic design and very traditional things. What kind of high school did you go to that had weaving and basket making? Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like, no, I mean, my Where high school, was high school? Had, my high school had like sewing class. <laughs> it wasn't the normal, normal high school. It Funny thing was, it was the high school my mother went to for integration that she was bussed into. So... Decades before, she went to the same high school, which was in the better part of town, the whiter part of town. And she went there. And then later in life, when she married my father, they moved to that part of town. And I ended up going to school there. So it was an interesting neighborhood to be in a what is historically a very white, affluent part of the city. And there were horse ranches near it. And there were um, a golf course near it. We had a golf team. It, it was interesting to be in a place that was the sort of unwelcoming and had to be opened up by my mother and to then be in the legacy of that. And then to sort of see this like growing integration that was happening there. And so it's like, we were afforded these opportunities because we were in this more affluent part of town, but then still being the minority and still sort of being the outlier and being the new thing. Cause there were, I want to say four black families in my entire neighborhood, but there was a good black population in the school, but they lived on the opposite side of the, like dividing line near there but yeah but but being there did there it offered opportunities of like textiles that was very much how I was able to get to college because I was a first generation college student I'm the first one to get a master's or any sort of higher education in my family and just the people that supported me who I still speak to who like my mom shows my diploma to that like he made it and yeah and I moved to Atlanta and was taking a tour of the campus and found out they had a textile lab and I'm just like, you know what? This seems interesting. I'll take this. I have a love of textiles. I always wanted to know how they're actually made because I've only been, at that point, I was only engaging with textiles as a finished product from someone else. And so to see all the equipment and the dyes and the processes, and from there, it started. Were you doing weaving and embroidery and stuff? Um, I was doing weaving and traditional Japanese dyeing and digital printing on silk. And so it's all just been a mixing and matching of different techniques and layering. Thinking like, what would happen if I mix this together with this? Very much. I'm about mixing two disparate things together. It does connect back to my childhood of taking like, how do you take an idea of who you are and fit it into a larger structure that's been before you? And how do you change that structure and how do you transform it? Because the textiles allow you that freedom.
it has been a very strange path that I've been working in very traditionally male fields that are very masculine every time that I've had to take a break off from college. So at that time, I was working in the sheriff's department at the courthouse, so working with police officers. And so there is, that is a whole other thing that I want to explore in my work of being in that relationship to police officers. My dad is originally a police officer and that sort of relationship to the black male body and law enforcement. So I went to that and I was working in a courthouse for a while. And then I went to Atlanta, went to school. And in 2011, I graduated and then started unloading trucks for grocery stores and for fabric stores. And so it was this very physical, masculine environment of <laughs> being, being very much my queer outgoing self on loading docks, which was interesting to see the interpretation and the acceptance of that and being in the deep south and going, huh, this is, this is interesting that, that you can slowly ingratiate people to you and expand their knowledge and sort of talk to them about what it means and about who you actually are and these sort of misconceptions of identity. But I was there since 2011 till 2015 wow. for four years. So public service. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just talking to the guys. <laughs> And so I wanted to find a place that I could actually talk to people and learn and have these discussions about what it meant to make work about my life and my identity. And so that brought me to the Bay Area. Did you know somebody here? Or did you just decide? I'm just going. Just, wow. And it is that interesting thing. Um, I recently did my DNA. And to realize that we've stayed so long and that we've been in the low country so long that it can actually locate me there. And so, so many generations of my family are there. And it's interesting to go back to my um, grandmother's hometown in South Carolina and to see people who look like me. And it's weird to walk into a church and go, everyone looks like me. And it's very odd. Oh yeah. But I wanted to branch out. And that is a conversation I had with my family and my mother. And just about like, you've gone farther than any of us ever have. And you've, yeah. And it's, it's very much... It's about, it, it's about them in a sense. It's about wanting to do this to instill pride in them and then feel pride from them that I've done this. So, yeah. It sounds like you come from such a loving family. I realize it every day. Do you go back? Not been back since 2015. No? They came for my graduation, uh -huh. but I have not been back since then. I oh. do want to go back mm -hmm. and experience it and, and just have all the fun conversations and the language and the way of talking. And my grandmother is Gullah and she speaks Gullah and she can speak in a very fast sort of patios. And it's interesting that I have to slow myself down when I'm in the Bay Area, which is very much a disconnect when people think of the Deep South. And I kind of do miss those turns of phrase and those languages. And that is something that I realize more and more in my work. Some of the things I say and the way I word things is a hearkening back to that sort of language and that culture. Can you give us an example? This is another thing like hand baby. Hand baby, hand, hand baby or knee baby, um, a baby that you're able to carry in your hands. Arms, mm -hmm. you might say. Yeah. And like a knee baby is a child, is like a toddler, uh -huh. that one you would keep on your knee. They're like oh, interesting yeah. things that pop up. Beautiful words. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been three years. What stopped you from going back? Money. Okay. Keeping housing in the Bay Area and money and just like mm -hmm. being able to afford rent and then fly back and then fly back. And then one day I'll get to go I'll back and see soon. them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. After I graduated from my BFA, um, we have family that splits because South Carolina and Georgia are so close together. It's just separated by a river. We have my mother's side of the family on the South Carolina side and my father's side on the Georgia side. So I had never really been introduced fully to my South Carolina side. So we went back and we actually went to the plantation of where our family actually comes from. And it's on an island. And it was very interesting to be in a place and to know, like, this is where my family first came here. This is where they've been. And to see how they live so very close to it, to that town and to that island. And also 
the sort of remnants, like the house is gone. The plantation house is completely gone. The land was sold. It is now a protected bird reserve. But the owner, because his wife loved ibises, brought them there. So there's supposed to be a lake in the middle of it that has birds that aren't natural to Georgia. And so I want to see that. And that is the, and that was like a connection to the work I was making at the beginning of the year about plants and the black body and these sort of constructed narratives of realizing that what I think of the South and what I think of that space isn't actually that there is this sort of layers of like colonialism and the natural landscape and then like a Japanese revival. So there is this sort of masses of kudzu and bamboo and like mulberry trees. And so, and wisteria and, that was a weird sort of realization that what I think, because I've grown up there my entire life, of this place being is really just multiple layers of influence and manipulation by outside cultures. And so that is something that I'm just like, wait, where is this? Like, I want to see this and I want to see how the land has changed. But then the land is also ingrained in me because my family's been there. I've only really had a studio for the last two years since I came to the Bay Area. Like the idea of like an artist studio is very much a new concept to me because I come from people who have made stuff on a kitchen table their entire lives. And so I'm just like, what would that mean? So um, you don't have a studio space now, Mm -hmm. except for your bedroom. Yes. So I was bouncing from residency to residency. So after I graduated, I went to the Headlands for a year. And then after the Headlands ended, I went back to CCA as an alumni in residence for a couple months. But I was making work there in the gallery. And that was an interesting experience to be in a glass box making work about Black rage and Black emotion and sort of performing your identity for the white space while being in the white cube Mm. and being on full view. I was doing drag makeup there, making yourself over it in an artificial image in like full glass panes throughout the day and having people walk by and look at you and see you in like different states of vulnerability. Like to be putting on padding and to be like lacing myself up in a corset and to be putting on makeup and trying on wigs or like teasing out a wig and doing those sort of things was a very generative experience, which I'm like this, I should pursue this more and see where this can take me. Mm-hmm. What, what, what would be an ideal studio space for you? For me, someplace where I could set up multiple looms. I'm also, I've been doing a series of performing humanity photos that are these multi-layered sets that I'm creating with flowers and textiles and physical objects and me and makeup and digital prints. And it would be nice to have a space that I could set all this up and take these sort of durational photos and durational video that I don't have to take it down because the makeup is so intensive. There is, I like, I could do these sort of like high artificial alien transformative makeup, but then what would that mean to get on BART and have to do it? And, like, sort of take a very long Bart ride, like, dressed like a multi-dimensional demon, just sort of staring at somebody, like, just go into the studio. So I would like someplace close. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ready for that performance yet. To be like, well, I've been on Bart for a couple stops, and I'm just, I'm just, oh, God, I'm smearing blue all over everything. (laughs) Yes. But I would like a space that I just, you know, that has that sort of comfort to it, to it, that I can be vulnerable and sort of change and turn into different things and do these very slow processes. Maybe I, I'm 
maybe have another question because you mentioned that um, you moved to the Bay Area because you wanted to like be able to talk with people about being queer mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you found that here I found a very intellectual complex conversation around queerness and about identity and I'm very happy to find older population of queer individuals and to be able to see like happiness and joy and that you can have like long-lasting relationships and be who you are and to fully express who you are even though that does feel like it's disappearing from the bay there still are these like holdouts and these people who are very much themselves and every expression of themselves and it's just like oh my goodness you've had this beautiful life and it has it, like it's given me hope and it and that has driven my work to think about like what will i be like when i'm 80 or like how will i be in the world Welcome back from Richard Jonathan Nelson's world inside Jamie Crusen's studio inside East Oakland, California. It's a lot of lots of insights. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of insights. You know, it's the Sami word for inside is sister, S-I-S-T-E. And a year ago when I was teaching the kids the prepositions, I had my daughter kind of crouch underneath this tall chair. So then my son could say his sister, his sister, the chair. <laughs> you know, you need like a little mental hook sometimes. Uh-huh, definitely. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> so, a good one. You know, what I taught him to say was muwaba. My sister is inside. Chair place, mm -hmm. chair locative case. Yes. That yeah. sounds very complex, actually. It, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's inflected. The language is inflected. So you change the endings of the words according to what's happening to them. Like, just like German. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Next for the show is the beautiful online thing. So, Svea, for our beautiful online thing today, I would like you to go to Jamie Crusen's website. Yay! Jamie, J-A-M-E-E, Krusen, C-R-U-S-A-N.com. This will also be in the show notes. The link that you sent me is to a specific piece here. It says, Jamie mm -hmm. Krusen, black and blue slash lack and lure. A concrete looking cube with a lot of layers inside it with a sledgehammer beside it. Yeah. It is. There is a whole list with materials there. Yeah, it's almost like a poem. Can I read it? <laughs> Definitely. Okay. You okay. go ahead, girl. <clears throat> Black and blue slash lack and lure. Materials. 10 pounds of bronze ingot. Hickory and the last remaining pieces of cocobolo from an altar infused with moon magic. 600 pounds of Portland cement and sand, wax, molten berry, luster pigment. 35 pounds of apple red Revlon. My mother's good advice. 24 <laughs> Swiffer attempts at washing you away. Oxygen, CO2, 463 days of bated breath, cyanotype lace, cyanotype linen, langsat fruit, grapefruit, ginger, white peach, absolute. I don't know what that is. Lotus flower, lily of the valley, osmanthus, vanilla, musk and the smell of you, salt, silicone, 52 gallons of evaporated tears, 32 pounds, 8 ounces of anthracite coal from Indiana, Pennsylvania. Indiana's not in Pennsylvania. What? 32 pounds, 8 ounces of anthracite coal from Indiana. Pennsylvania, the 1,000 <laughs> years this would have taken to make a diamond. 78 pounds of upcycled steel from the love boat's last voyage. Resin, all the things my daddy taught me. My father's Vietnam uniform and my mother's wedding dress. Rebar, 600 pounds of quickrete. 
5,000 PSI cement, 23 pounds of copper combined with tin and the cosmological interpretations of Jupiter and Venus. Dimensions, That's 30 by 30 by 30. And there's some photos here of the cube kind of broken open on the side so you can see all these sedimentary layers. And then also some pictures of layers inside the cube, which I just touched on one and they moved. So I can see so many layers. Ooh, it's beautiful. I want to see the wedding dress. Yes, that, that would be cool, right? I think I see the lace. There's also a video that has Jamie kind of attacking this cube. With the, oh, it's, it's playing, uh, what's love got to do with it? And Jamie's attacking the cube with a huge sledgehammer and looking super exhausted. Oh my goodness. Jamie takes a pause. Jamie picks out the sledgehammer. Jamie makes a bit of a hole in this thing. <laughs> this thing must be so heavy. I think I think it's like insane. Yeah, and like 600 pounds of Portland cement and 600 pounds of Quickrete 5000 PSI cement? Is that the yeah. same cement? I have no idea. How I'm, can this like... be 1200 pounds of cement? Well, I, I love this. I, I love how like Jamie Crusen's work spans different media and often comes back to queerness and gender identity and exhaustion. Just a real sensitivity to the human experience. And I, I think this is beautiful. Thank you. And um, I don't think we have anything else super exciting for the show today, except... Our crush next week. Yes, that's another exciting part of this episode. <laughs> I shouldn't episode say that. Tale. I shouldn't say there's nothing more good happening. You might as well just turn off your turn off your radio. Yes, we Press just pause. we just quit it right here. We just blew our load. We're done. We're done. Our crush next week is actually super fantastic. Tell us a little yes. bit about her. Our next crush is Ana Teresa Fernandez. Mm. Yes, she is absolutely wonderful. She is such a talented artist. She lives in San Francisco, born in Mexico. She uh, does paintings, but then she also does actually a lot of social sculptures. So lots of it is performance, but then she always documents it. So if you go to her website, you can see several of the projects she did. And one of those projects that I really like is the erasing the border where she like just went to the part of the beach between Tijuana and San Diego and there was like a border there and she just went there in a black cocktail dress and started painting the black wall in a powdery blue mm. from afar it seems like the border is kind of like just erased because you don't it's not so like not so harsh anymore like the separation between the two beaches or the two countries and so this is something that comes back in her work a lot. Humanity and then also femininity and stuff like that. Yeah, she's got like all the all the things that make us love a person. Um, yes, she also, does. Also, she's like <laughs> tall and athletic and a surfer. She's got this beautiful long hair. Very crush worthy. Very crush worthy. And she's a really good painter too. Yes, her paintings, they look like photographs. Yeah, right? some of them. Yeah, so photographs, realistic. but in this like Mary Cassatt kind of way, like better than photographs, like richer mm -hmm. than photographs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Photographs that have been photoshopped, but in a better way. But, <laughs> except that sounds terrible. <laughs> photographs that have been photoshopped. By God. Yeah. But oh, yeah, that, that, that's its fail. That's the perfect description. Ana Teresa Fernandez.
And probably she has Instagram too. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, she totally does. I'm hardly paying okay. attention to you because I'm on her Instagram, which is just, it's her full name, Ana Teresa Fernandez. We'll see you for our date with Ana Teresa Fernandez in her amazing, amazing studio in San Francisco. And until then, you can keep in touch with us by writing us emails at contact as artcrushinternational.com this is always the first one you go for you really want email. i don't know i i think i want emails like i just checked we still we don't have emails nobody writes us emails, <laughs> no, so I, no, I mean they do but they on the old email address we got we got emails this week but on the old email address look us up on instagram yes that's right? probably a better way for people to get in touch artcrush yeah. underscore international on instagram and then also on our website artcrushinternational.com you can find a transcript of today's interview and images from inside the studio and uh, Richard Jonathan Nelson's work and sometimes a video. Yes, beautiful videos. I work absurdly hard on those stupid little 40-second yeah. trailers. I've never made a video in my life before. But I would I, love like, for I, you. I assume that it's like taking you like forever. One, one week, you should do it. You should make the video yes, and, yeah, then, we'll, and then you'll it, really yeah. know. It's kind of like when I used to do all the audio editing. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And then one time you were like, no, no, I'll do it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm dying right now. <laughs> but now, now you're like the better audio editor. So there you go. Bye. Bye. That was long, but good, I think. Yeah.